Welcome to Missing Persons Uncovered. I'm Caroline Humer, a child protection expert, and in this podcast series, we seek to understand the complexities of a global issue. Every year, hundreds of thousands of people go missing worldwide. I'm Karen Shalev-Green, and I carry out research into missing persons at the University of Portsmouth in the UK. Across this series, Caroline and I are talking to professionals to share insights into how we can all be more aware and take action to protect vulnerable people in our communities and families from going missing. In this episode, Karen is talking to Galit Shimshon Drazen from Israel. Galit is a psychotherapist and an expert in profiling missing persons and suicidality. She is sharing with us the complexity of mental health, suicide and depression, and how they are linked to going missing. Warning, please be aware this episode might be difficult to listen to. So talk to your friends and family, and if you would like anonymous help, visit our website, missingpersonsuncovered.com, for support. So, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to have you. How about we start by telling us a little bit about how you got into the field of missing persons? It was in the age of 32 when I was a psychotherapist for like 12 years. I work in the field of mental health. I had two children. At that time, I heard about uh, Daniel Minvitsky when he disappeared. And I started to, to keep in touch with the story of his parents, his family, his sisters, and about him. And I, I tried to understand what happened to him. And at the same time, as I tried to understand why it's so meaningful to me to keep watching TV and listening for all the news that came about Daniel. There were no, no research in Israel or any, any Israel that I can really read or listen. No expert in Israel about missing persons that I can get in touch and to understand more what happening to me and what happened to Daniel. So I started to read in Google. And then one day and I understood that the missing persons that I know better is myself. I remembered that then my mother died from cancer when I was 14. My father went missing, but not uh, went missing in the street. He went missing to the depression. We were four, uh, four children at the time when my mom died. The little one, my sister was almost three years old. And the second, my second brother was, was nine, maybe 10. I was 10 and my older brother was 17. And my mother died. And that was something that we understood, but I couldn't understand that my father disappeared to some something that I didn't understand at that time, but it was mental health. And he was in very big depression. It was a pathological grief. And we became in pathological grief for our father. We were very, very sad and lonely, and we were very neglected at the time. When I understood it... it in the age of 32, it was very shocking for me because I understood what a very fortunate kid I was to walk away from becoming missing myself. I remember that one time I, was, I wanted to shake my father so much that I left him a letter that I'm running away from home. I thought that if he will see that I'm, I'm in risk, he will then come searching for me like in a fairy tale. But it wasn't like this, and I came back. No one went to search for me, and I understand that I have to stay. I had a very little sister, 
problems that I need to, to raise. And I think that Tara needs, and she was in so much a risk at that time that it made me uh, meaningful to my life. And then I was, I was there for her and I was there for me. After a long time, after uh, 15 years, my father uh, came back to himself. He was, he started to function, uh, but it was, we grew up without him. Uh, he was at home, but it was without him. And this is a story of missing persons, the, the, the being and the absence at the same time. When you have someone that is, is in, he was in our life, so no one thought that something very bad happened to us. I want us to touch on that a little bit, the, the absence presence, because particularly when we talk about mental health, where people are physically present, yet mentally absent where the line crosses into them then becoming physically absent but are emotionally psychologically present for their loved ones and I don't think people understand the process of that necessarily of how fluid that is and how one leads to to another so I think it's a very touching and thank you for sharing that with us but it's it's the reason why we wanted to do this podcast this topic as well. Khalid explains further how she got into the field of mental health and psychotherapy. I started my professional life in the education. When I finished my special education it felt to me not enough so I went to learn social work for my second degree and I become a therapist. And then I learned psychotherapy, and that's what I'm doing since then. And I have to say that I work in both fields till today, in the field of education and field of therapy. In the field of education, I'm not teaching, but I'm working with teachers and principals and teaching them, lecturing most of the time about children in risk. I think when I'm working with this kind of teachers, when I ask about missing children, myth and use, they don't know anything about it. And it, it's not that it's not here in Israel. Missing persons in Israel, is, it's, it's a phenomenon in Israel, but no one really acknowledged it because it's not exists by law in the, from the government. So when I, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to educate the educators to, to look about people that are present in absence in the class and when they really go missing and, and no one really know, even if the police found them and bring them back to the class. And in my clinic, I work with the mental health, but not only. I work with the, all the kinds of problems that happens to the ordinary person in his life. Just to be a human, it's very hard. It's very difficult. And of course, with mental health that, that come to the clinic and working at the same time with a psychotherapist. So let's let's delve into the world of mental health. Then. We talk about it. It's around. People are aware, certainly after the pandemic, mm-hmm. people are much more aware of the toll that life, as it is, t- takes. And to highlight that a large proportion of adults that go missing, that there's varying estimates. So it's anything between 40 to 80 percent. But it's a really large proportion of adults that go missing is a result of mental health. So do you have any statistics, numbers of how many people around the world suffer with mental health issues? I have here the, only the details about suicide and mental health. But if I remember right, it's one to one of four people has their mental health issues. So 
why do you think there's such a strong link then between mental health mental. issues and going missing? I think there, there are many, many connections, but I'll, I'll tell us, I will speak about, I think, three of them, maybe four. First, when we speak about the missing person, most of the missing persons get lost, uh, suffer from phrenia or bipolar and uh, depression. Okay, there are more, but these are the main people that get, get lost. When it's schizophrenia, they can just wander around and get lost because of the, of the confusion or a paranoia that they have. And then they don't know how to ask for help. And they become more afraid. And sometimes the people that see them don't know how to, to get and speak with them. And, so, and most of the time they're afraid from them because of the of mythos that, that says that psychophrens are violent and that are bad. Some of there's a big stigma, you know, that in Israel, a big stigma about being infected and the people do not want to help psychophrens that wanders around. Sometimes they call the police, but the police, not every time that they are coming in Israel, most of the times they're very, very occupied. In the, all, all over the world, I don't think that when the police come, they know how to come and how to get and speak with this person and they can run away and get missed, missed again. People in bipolar, they don't want to get help. So can you just explain to people who don't understand what bipolar means? Bipolar means that there are people with the wave in, in the woods, uh, big waves. Sometimes they feel that they can uh, do anything. They can, they are the best and they can, they speak very fast and they uh, know everything and they're very cheerful and sometimes they, they're walking very fast. Everything is fast and it seems like they're okay, but in a very, very good mood and with very high energy. And then when they, when it stops, it becomes a very depressed situation that they can do anything, they're very depressed. Most of the time we see the, the bipolar when we go out, we, we see them in the mania situation and a missing person can be, and they, be, they can be, become missing person in, at the times that they're in their mania situation. Okay? Also, they can be, become missing person when they're depressed if they want to kill the same and, and, and make suicide. So. When you come to speak with the mania, they don't want to speak to you. They don't. They will say that they're okay. They, they don't need any help. They are not aware to their situation, and it, it could be very risky. Depression. People can feel that they don't have any any solutions for the sufferers that they feel. They don't really. Most of them don't really want to die, but they want to stop to feel so bad and to suffer. So deep, there's something in the ability to think that gets very, become very narrow for solutions. And all the solutions that, that the men, that people without depression or in a very, in a, a depression in, that is, is not so deep can think about, these people can feel that they have no solution just to kill themselves by a suicide. Sometimes they go missing as part of this suicide. And at the, at the time, if there is a plan and the missing time that they are walking away from families or relatives to make a suicide, I want also to, to say that when someone takes his own life and commits suicide, 25 people around them will commit suicide attempt. 
and like 100 people will suffer from trauma. Wow, that's in- incredible. So we're speaking about it's not infection, it's a trauma that goes by not, not treated well. And when you save one person, you can know that you save many, many, many others. And I, I think that when we speak about suicide, if we want to do preventive activism, and you will go and save, if you know that it's a child that you save 25 people, and then more than 100 people, we can do it. I think that the motivation to help will grow. So at that time, it's like a window that we can go in and save them. And that's why I'm here in this, in this field. That's, that's incredible. And I think it's also really empowering for all of us to know that we have the potential of helping that many people. Yeah. Though there seems to be strong links between missing and mental health, there is little data focused on children. Galit highlights a few scenarios that impact children's mental health. I don't have numbers of this issue, but what I know about when they got missing and their mental health. First of all, children who live in houses that are not suitable for their development, mental development, they can, they can become very upset and depressed. And sometimes they have an illness like schizophrenia or bipolar that is not, is not known. And if it's known, parents and the family are ashamed to so that this uh, group of uh, populations, they can become missing persons because they can feel that for the family, it will be better to be without them. And at the same time, they feel that they don't understood by the relatives that they, uh, that they know. And there is something that can be, I will, I will go to some, somewhere that will uh, may take care of me. They don't know that there are very, a lot of dangers outside. They just uh, go and wonder, try to find something better. Many of them come, are vulnerable to grooming, and they can wander not outside in the street, but they can wander in computers, in the internet, to find someone that will, they think, that will understand them better, someone that will make them happier. If it's something that goes with low self-esteem, so the grooming becomes very, very easily. It's children and youth, and then they they're in a very bad, bad situation because they go out and then the mental situation is becoming worse, not better. And they don't know how to stop it if they, re, if they want to stop it. And as I said to about uh, schizophrenia, when you see a child that it seems very neglected and they speak in a bad wor- words, most of the people want to not to look at them. Most of them will go away. Most of the people will reject them and to deny them. I think that when we we see these children, they're acting out sometimes. It's, it's not something that is nice or kind, but this is calling for help. I've got a couple of questions. One is the role of trauma. You know, we, we, we see children, like you said, growing up in very unhealthy, very unstable environments and home environment some children might be living at home some might be in care home foster care and what is the role of trauma because it's not a mental illness in itself and yet it would play of course on their mental and well-being kids with trauma that will take them and run away will be kids that are suffering for complex ptsd it's trauma that as i see it in a violent homes 
that violence is uh, all over 24-7. We saw that in, when the epidemic was here and uh, people need to stay at home, children uh, suffered uh, most of the time more than usual because they can't go to school and they can't go to friends and they had to stay in a violent home, which is the trauma. The role of the trauma, it's sometimes... It's, uh, it doesn't really help people, uh, children to run away. It uh, makes them stay, the trauma. But some trauma uh, makes them run away. When they feel that they will die emotionally or uh, physically, they can run. They don't understand it, but it happens to them. They run away and they go. It's a they want to find new family, new parents, even if it's something very bad and illegal. They're trying to find new family and new, new parents. Children live in a world that imagination and reality are confused. They're meshed together. It's good because it's good for, for most of the time because it gives them hopes and solutions. Sometimes the solutions are very bad, but maybe it's better than the places that they are in uh, staying in. So I think about the trauma, I think that most of the people that ran away are within a big trauma. I'm not sure that the trauma is uh, triggered to run away. There's also children, like you said before, about the absence of the parents. So it's not violent, it's just neglect for absence. So if you have parents with addictions, parents with, like you said about your father, with their own depression, their own mental health issues, that they're not there for children. It's a silent violence that it's like uh, missing persons. You, it's it's grey. You can't say that your father beat you because he didn't, but it's a silent violence because you watch and you see things that you don't need to see with your parents. Children know that something happens to their parents. Children know that they're living in not a suitable situation. And sometimes they, they want to run away to find a solution for themselves. And sometimes they run away to find a solution for all the family. They run away, don't really think about it. It's an unconscious issue. It's a runaway, and if someone will find them, he will ask, what happened to you? From where are you coming? And maybe all the family will, will go away, will find a solution. And if we go back to adults, and it's not necessarily just adults, it's just that it's a larger proportion that we are aware of, so it, it could be all ages. But we talked about a big chunk of people go missing due to depression and the possibility of suicide attempts or suicide that is successful as you know many of many of the depression people want to die it's not it's they have thoughts of to commit suicide and sometimes to commit suicide means to walk away from the lover for two reasons one not to be found so they will not interfere in your suicide in their suicide plan so hold on i want to expand on that so people understand so someone will leave on purpose with the idea of I want to kill myself and the reason they do that is so they will not be stopped. These people, if most, I think that most of them tried to commit suicide in their background. We can see that they tried and people, people saved them, found them. So they will try again and again. It will be a severe and it will, it will take in advance that they want to do it without interference. It's committed and it's the back, if it's committed and it has a background. From my experience, most of the people that, that got uh, missing for killing themselves had background of suicide attempts that someone saved them. 
even sometimes they save themselves and they want to know to be sure that they cannot help themselves and no one in the area will save them. I think that's important for families to understand because of course they carry the guilt of what could I have done different. And there's an element of an illness gone so far that the person is so committed to it that they make the choice that you cannot help them. I think that's really important for families to also be mindful of that. You cannot help them, if I can say, but you can try to listen very deeply to what they are saying. When they commit it, you cannot really do anything because there are people that they, they want to die and they will do anything uh, together. I can say that in a prevention, in a prevention look, they speak, people can sometimes speak about a long journey and they can say that they want to get, they have a dream to get missing to to disappear, they will stop sometimes talking about suicide, but they will say that they want to go to a big journey. Or the, so it's, it's somewhere there. I know that the families cannot track it all the time. But as an opportunity, people who are listening, to be mindful, just to notice if there's any opportunity there to, to catch it. That's what we're saying, rather than to blame, there's no blame for families, but it's, we, we want to give you tools that if there is any opportunity to catch it and prevent anything from happening, to be able to notice to that, just pay attention if, if there's any hints, any indication of somebody saying that. The other thing of missing in relation to depression is? That is mixed with economic debts, okay? It's like circle that don't stop I'm depressed and I can't work and my debts are going worse and it's a situation that's full with shame and with feeling that I'm all alone and I cannot solve this situation so the best way for me and maybe for my family is to commit suicide because of that there is a depression also that connected this issue. People do not kill themselves just because they have that. And I will tell a little story from uh, last uh, week. My little kids, they're in a public school here in Aviv. We got a message, all the families in the school, in WhatsApp, that there is a family that got into a very big debt and that the, and that the principal opened pay box and everybody that wants to give some money to donate, it will be fine. For them, and in two days, they collect two hundred thousand shekels for this family. And I thought, how not suicidal this family is, because they really, they was ashamed. I'm sure that they are ashamed and feel, but they went and they asked the community around them for help. And the community can and help, and the, this community doesn't understand in suicide. They just helped, very generously, in very big heart. And I thought about other people that they don't have the idea that someone will help them. Most of the time, people want to help, but the person thinks that no one cares. Or, or it will be a very shameful thing to do. Understanding the complexity of mental health and the need to talk about it more openly to help prevent suicide and depression, Galit provides us with a few tools for professionals and families. The first thing that I want to say is not to be cynical. When someone tells you that he wants to kill himself, don't be cynical. 
do you see that? Do you see professionals being in what in what way? People don't want to hear that someone wants to kill himself. Say something like, "Oh, really? You're not you're not serious, or you are not brave enough to do it." I know you. You're not brave enough to do it. Or there are much bigger problems than you have. It's not such a big problem. You know, I have bigger problems. Why are you such a baby crying? This is a cynical, but there are also that it could be you're not trying enough to help yourself. It's something that comes with criticism for the person that feels bad that he's not doing enough. It's emotional blackmail. So criticism, aggressions, cynical, minimizing the feelings and, and emotional blackmails. I hear a lot of emotional blackmails around these issues of thinking about commit suicide and also about becoming sick. Someone can say in a session in, a, in therapy, I feel so bad that I want to die and the therapy like therapist, he will talk what happened, tell me, but he will not ask, really, do you want to kill yourself? Do you really mean it? You will ask what happened, tell me what happened, or something like this, and not, okay? They have to listen if there are any suicidal thoughts. No one killed himself because someone asked him. Sometimes the therapist thinks, thinks that if they ask a question about suicide, they will give them some ideas. So they didn't think about it before, but it's, it's wrong. It's saving lives to ask, do you think about killing yourself? Saving lives, the first thing that happens is that they are less alone. If they ask these questions, then the suicidal person, they will feel less alone. And they can ask for help. They can really try to, to feel that maybe someone can understand them. And they can, it, it saves lives to ask, and not, and not the other way. And in terms of prevention for families... First thing that uh, the thing that is so meaningful is to be open to consulting. I know that everybody will say yes, yes, of course I will go to therapy. I will send him to therapy. But many of the suicidal persons didn't go to uh, to therapy, and then the families weren't aware that there are problems that, that needs consulting. Even if they are functioning, they go to work, they come back, they go, they function, but. They are, they are telling over and over that they are not satisfying with their life. They are sad. They don't have friends. And so go to counsel, to consulting. Suicide is an epidemic. So listen and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to, to, to send your beloved to, to consulting. I know that there is an acknowledgement that if, if someone goes to consulting, he's not okay. It's very, it's very difficult to understand. It's something that we have to over... It seems like a little barrier, but it's a stigma. When I say it, I know it seems like a little... There is a, a whole world of suicide and uh, go missing. But the first, the first step is to let the person get consulted. If they ask them, so be it. A relative can also ask a person, a parent, a child, if they have suicide thoughts. It's okay to ask. Very difficult, but it's okay to ask. But if you if you can do it, you should ask them because then the person is less lonely. Loneliness is one of the main issues of want to disappear, run away, not to be, to die. That's really really helpful. I think I think it opens up the door for people to think and see. I guess the dynamics within their own families. 
as to the possibilities of where we can see each other more and be there for one another. I think that's one of the things we're not very good at as people is to see each other, really. We kind of get on with life. We try our best, everybody putting one foot in front of the other and not always understanding how how stressed or how lonely or how difficult life is for the other person. I want to symbolize the things that I say. I know that about second prevention is a, a whole world, but it's a simple way of first prevention, of understanding that people having a bad day, a bad year, and a bad life. And it's okay, it's not the fun. And if you just ask, you can say teachers at school can also ask children. I know that many teachers think that but I'm not professional. What I'm going to do if they, if they will say that they want to commit suicide or they have thoughts? Ask them and then send them to the consultant. But ask the children. Don't wait that they go missing or that they harm themselves to ask what happened because then you're not in the picture. When something happens, the teacher is not in the picture. It can be just in the first prevention. You can also make, as a teacher, you can also make a discussion. How do you feel today? What is happening? And to track children or youth that you see that they are silent, they don't want to talk, they, they say, I don't know. How do you feel? I don't know. If they don't know, sit with him and ask what do, what do they don't know. So thank you okay. very, very much. It's thank been you. really insightful. I think you gave us quite a few tools for people to think about in terms of prevention, in terms of support. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure to listen to you. So thank you. Thank you, Karen. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Missing Persons Uncovered. And thank you, Galit, for sharing your experience in mental health. If you have any questions you would like us to answer or thoughts on topics you would like us to discuss, please contact us through our website. If you'd like specific information or need help, please reach out to your local police department or national charity. If you are enjoying this podcast and discussion, please help support us by buying us a coffee through missingpersonsuncovered.com. I'm Karen Shalev Green. And I'm Caroline Hume. Thank you for listening. Join us next time when we talk to Lily Liu from Canada about dementia and missing persons.